everybody. Welcome back to the Grey Market Lane podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Chad Anderson, and today is the trial of Sean Cassidy, which is why I had a terrible Irish accent at the beginning. Although, fun fact, in college, I was in a independent play where I had one of the leads. It was a musical. It was called West of the Moon, and I had to have an Irish accent. And I did work with a dialect coach, but it's been many, many years since then. <laughs> so it's <like> very little. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start talking about the Banshee for just a minute. Uh, these are always my favorite episodes every month where I get to hang out with friends and delve deep on characters that I love. Uh, before I announce our jury for the day, let me just talk for a sec. The Banshee was one of the first mutants to be introduced in the Marvel Universe back in X-Men number 28, right at the beginning. He started as a threat and he quickly changed to an ally. And he's among the first international mutants, one of the very first non-American ones introduced. Roy Thomas and Werner Roth created the character, drawing upon the legend of Banshees, which are ghostly fairy women of Irish legend who would announce the death of a loved one by screaming in the sky with an eerie wail. Roy Thomas wanted Banshee to be a woman, but Stan Lee felt like having the team all beating up on a woman in the 60s would probably be frowned upon. So he changed the character into a man and he's been there ever since. Banshee was initially drawn in a very racist way as kind of a caricature of an, Ir of an Irishman, almost looking like a who from Whoville, like a long face and a button nose. But he's had his iconic costume right from the beginning, green and yellow with striped circular wing flaps under the arms. He's iconic, he's a, a fan favorite. So here today we are for uh, we are here today for the trial of Sean Cassidy. But first, let's get to know our jury members. I'll have you each introduce yourselves in an Irish accent if you're feeling bold. <laughs> let us know your gender pronouns, where we might know you from, and uh, let me know what you love about the Banshee or what maybe your favorite Banshee story is. Uh, I am thrilled to welcome uh, five of my regular co-hosts back. Uh, these are friends of mine. It's so good to see all of your faces. Uh, let's begin with Andre. Hi, Andre. Hello, everybody. So uh, as Chad says, I'm pretty much an irregular here. So uh, my name is Andre. You can call me Dre for short. Pronouns is he, him, and a well-placed yes girl if you feel up to it. Um, <laughs> I am not saying anything in an Irish accent, so I'm just going to say McRib. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I want to say my favorite time for Banshee was actually Gen X. That's literally it for me. Like defining era of Banshee is his gener generation X time. Wonderful. It's good to see you, my friend. <laughs> uh, let's go to next a someone who's been on the show several times, but never been on a trial before. Uh, let me welcome Mr. Daryl Lawrence. Hi, Daryl. Hey, Chad, and hey, everyone else. I'm so glad to be part of my first trial. I was a jury member alternate for a previous trial, um, <laughs> but um, the jury members did not bias themselves, so I did not need to be drawn upon to fill that void. Um, you can find me on the X Factor Files podcast. I am a he, him, um, along with Dre. I, a well-placed guest girl is absolutely <laughs> in order. Um, I also agree Gen X Banshee is where it's at. What a hunk. Um, I won't say anything in an Irish accent because I would just really screw it up. Um, my best friend's dad is off the boat Irish, and it was always fun trying and still is fun trying to figure out what 
the fuck he's trying to say sometimes because the <laughs> accent is so thick. Um, and speaking of the F word, I do appreciate that they say fack instead of fuck. So, uh, um, fucking guy. Um, so that that's fun and sort of goes with um, another two of our jury members here. That's sort of how you can swing it if you're in New England as well. You can say that. So, yeah, that's something I've heard. I was yes. like, did I get that from Ireland or from my dad? Yeah, or the <laughs> south side of Boston. I'm not sure. Um, so, um, the Southie or Dublin. Who knows? Um, or both. That's me. It's so good to have you here, Matt. Uh, let me go next to Miss Alicia Wilder. Hi, Alicia. Oh, man. Okay. I can't do it. I was going <laughs> to do it. I was going to do it. Hold on. Okay. I'll just no, say, my name. Nope, that came out Southern. <laughs> hey, y'all. It's me. Hey, I'm, y'all, I'm Irish. No, uh, okay, sorry. I really thought I could do it, just wing it, but it didn't happen. I'm Alicia. She, her, hers. Um, I am from a co-host of the Ex-Wife Podcast. Um, that's why you know me. If you're like, oh, you don't sound like Alicia. It's just because congestion, but I'm fine. And um, I'll say this. I'll say, gotta get me lucky charms. There you go. <laughs> that's my Irish for you. Um, and... <laughs> Clovers <laughs> and purple horseshoes. Purple horseshoes, clovers and balloons. Yeah, that's what I got for you. Um, but also, I'm gonna say my favorite Banshee moment, and Justin's already upset about it, but it's only because it makes Justin upset that I chose this as my favorite, and that would be the Banshee skin suit. Um, but it's not really my favorite Banshee moment. <laughs> I just needed to say it just before it was said later. Um, just so Justin can think about it the entire episode. And then, uh, but no, I, I too am interested to learn more about Generation X Banshee because I think that's a cool era. And I actually asked when, when Justin first like read the thing, I was like, who's got Generation X? Nobody. Because <laughs> there's nothing to put him on trial for in that era. Or Generation X. <laughs> He's good. And then uh, while we're there, we'll go to Mr. Justin Wilder next. Hi, Justin. Hey, you, you cannot be putting a language challenge out there and expect I won't be trying it. <laughs> uh, when you first said it, I was like, oh, mute, mute the thing. Let me try this out a couple times. I'm Justin. You can call me a boyo. Uh, <laughs> and uh, other half of the X-Wife podcast. And I love, I, I'm a big fan of Gen X, but I also... I'm a big fan of just his early days in Claremont and, you know, giant size into just him being there up until even when he hurts his vocal cords and he's just becomes a background character and he gets his own side story. You get a little side quest with Moira, who then comes back and betrays their love completely Dang it, with a skin suit. <sighs> uh, phenomenal. It's so good to see you, my friend. And lastly, but not leastly, it's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm done now. I can't do that. No, <laughs> Uh, my 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 dear friend Gabriella Garbaro is back. Hi, Gabriella. So good to see you. The only thing I can predictably say in an Irish accent, which I don't even know if it was intentionally Irish, but it's the hello from Mrs. Doubtfire. That's it. That's all I got. I love so, um, and I did watch about 30 or 45 minutes of uh, how to do an Irish accent YouTube videos. Can't do it. Not going to happen. So... 
Um, I know how to say Ireland. I know that's how they say it. Ireland, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so um, I'm Gabriella. My gender pronouns are she, her, and um, I have a blog called The Girl Who Sits, and I talk mostly about disability. Um, it's on a pause right now because I'm studying for the bar exam, but hopefully by March it will be back up and going. Um, and uh, my favorite banshee, you know, I I I'm gonna just admit it, like I really have a thing for like brooding men with a five o'clock shadow. So I gotta say, you know, that's actually like most of him. So I feel like Generation X, right? That's about mm -hmm. that area. Yeah. I like it. Um, I'm not ashamed. So that would be my favorite thing, I guess. Um, and then I like the part that I'm going to talk about, too, when he uh, does the explore. So I'm stoked about that. So we'll talk about it. Uh, and then lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. We are recording this five weeks before release, which is crazy. That's uh, the longest I've ever recorded early. But I'm taking a month off over the holidays. Uh, this is a complete side note, but I've been editing this morning the Christmas episode I'm putting out in a five days from now before Christmas starts. It features my husband and my children, and we perform X-Men Christmas parodies, and my kids are so fucking cute, and I've been smiling all day about it. So everybody make sure you have tuned in, although it will have been out a month before we release this, but it's so fun. Uh, I love Banshee. I love these uh, trials because I get to read the characters' chronologies. He's a character that fit in in ways I didn't expect. He is seriously husband material in a way that most of the X-Men are not. Mm -hmm. uh, he has weird eras. I um, Claremont's run when they are in the Savage Land in like X-Men 114 and Banshee gets real sexy for the first time. He's like running around shirtless when they fight Sauron. I'm like, mm, hey there. <laughs> he's, he can do it for me every time. Uh, he is a, he's a great character. So we're going to talk about Banshee for a while, and then we had to get creative with some of the trial sections on this guy because there's not a ton to put him on trial for, simply because he hasn't doesn't have as dense a chronology as a lot of the other X-Men do. So let's talk about Sean Cassidy. Sean Cassidy is several different identities wrapped up together, and the version of him that we get depends on the story being told. Uh, first, he's a hero, the brave, bold man who jumps into action to save the day no matter what the personal cost. Second, he's the cop, the determined Interpol agent with a mysterious past, a story point that gets brought up from time to time when a writer wants to connect his background to a modern story. <coughs> Excuse me. Third, he's the tragic family man, the widower, the estranged father, the rival to his cousin, Black Tom. Fourth, he's the teacher, the sexy, zaddy headmaster of the Generation X teens that my generation of queer friends grew up fantasizing over. And fifth, He's the ancillary character, a favorite who seems to be no one's actual favorite, the guy that it's safe to maim or wound or kill off to give high stakes to a story. They bring him back over and over again, and he gets injured in these horrible ways over and over. I'm kind of alarmed at how many times this guy's had his throat cut or has been shot through the chest or been blown up in a plane or had his skin worn as a suit, which we will talk about, <laughs> of course, a few times today. Uh, slowly in bits and pieces over time, we learned the backstory of Sean Cassidy. He grew up in Mayo County in the Republic of Ireland in a castle called Cassidy Keep, a centuries-old structure that has mystical connections because, well, leprechauns live there and also maybe there are dimensional gateways. 
We know very little about his family, but he grew up as best friends and kind of rivals with his first cousin, Tom Cassidy, which kind of implies that their dads are brothers. Sean became an Interpol agent and ran afoul of the IRA before meeting the headstrong and lovely Maeve Rourke. Sean fell madly in love with Maeve and, well, so did Tom, except Tom is real gay, so maybe he just wanted what Sean had, or maybe he kind of wanted Sean himself, but that's probably a story for another time because this isn't Game of Thrones. Uh, But (laughs) Maeve ended up marrying Sean, and then Sean left for several months on a long assignment, not knowing that his wife was pregnant at the time. Maeve gave birth to their daughter, named her Teresa, and then Maeve died. And when Sean returned, he blamed Tom for having not protected Maeve. And he hit his cousin with a sonic scream, which resulted in uh, Tom needing to walk with a cane afterward. And then Sean flew off. Because of this, Tom did not tell Sean that he had a daughter and instead chose to raise Teresa as his own. And Sean threw himself into his work. And that went on for years. We're going to talk more about Teresa during the trial itself. And a lot of this is retroactive continuity because she gets added later to the mythology, as does Tom, and all of it kind of gets told and sorted out in various stories by writers who are uh, filling in the blanks. Banshee first meets the X-Men when he has been forcibly recruited by the mutant master into the group Factor 3. He's smart and strong, and his sonic scream can do a lot of crazy cool things. We'll talk more about his powers in a minute. He quickly finds a way to ally with the X-Men and turns against Factor 3. And in the following years, He fights the Sentinels, the Secret Empire, the Living Island, Krakoa, and then he joins the team after Giant Size X-Men number one, which is that famous issue that introduces Storm and Wolverine. Banshee and Sunfire are kind of the characters that stick around that Claremont chooses to use here. Uh, Banshee is almost immediately romantically connected to the mysterious Moira McTaggart, who shows up as a housekeeper, but turns out to be a crazy geneticist. Uh, And boy, do we know more about her in recent years. And he often calls Moira the love of his life. They are together for decades of publication history until Moira succumbs to the legacy virus and dies, except she didn't. Uh, Again, we'll do a trial of Moira another time. So Sean is an integral part of the X-Men until he saved the planet from Moses Magnum, uh, who Andre Mason and I have an incredible episode on Mm -hmm. our (laughs) podcast about. Listen to that sometime. But Sean temporarily loses his powers as a result. And he quits the team and moves back to Muir Island to be with Moira, where he kind of falls into a support role for a long time. Uh, So let's take a moment here and talk about him. What are your thoughts on the background and kind of early history of Sean Cassidy? What do you like? What are you confused about? Hmm. Well, what I think is interesting is coming in as a newer fan and like really being first introduced to him through Krakoa, you like, I get this sense of him as a a guy I just felt bad for who just like really, really had terrible luck and was always just kind of being used in someone's schemes. And then, you know, you hear his full backstory and you're like, wow, he's lived such a roller coaster of emotions life you know like he started out as a villain and then he was like trying to be a hero and he's got a daughter he doesn't know about that's gonna come with a lot of baggage so it's just interesting to to sort of see how all of those things have made him where he is but I just like every time I think of him I just think of him as like the guy who will like be there and be like yeah I'll say I'll do that whenever you guys need I'll do it it's gonna kill me but it's cool it really, it really turns on its head the concept of like the luck of the Irish. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> no, not really, no. Sorry, bud. 
Marvel has a tremendous amount of Irish characters that get kind of caught up in the lore of Northern Ireland versus the Republic of Ireland and the IRA of it all and the war of it all. We're not going to delve deep into that. I know the portrayal of Sean and Black, Black Tom is often culturally concerning, for lack of better phrasing, in the way that they are portrayed. I mean, this man has a, a castle with leprechauns in the basement uh, and his <laughs> And his like his wife is tied to the IRA, and she may have been killed in an IRA bombing. And there's there's these kind of concerning spaces. Uh, I I will not speak a lot on that today, but that is a clear part of this the way this character is portrayed, especially his first appearances back in the beginning of the X Men, where he is drawn just as a, a ridiculous looking caricature. It's it's uh, it's painfully uh, it's painfully uncomfortable looking at the early imagery of Banshee. But this is a time when they didn't view things the same way we do now, obviously. We want to try to find room for that as much as we can. I'm also stunned a little bit by how much we don't know. There's a lot to explore and delve out with this character. His powers, who are his parents, where does this castle come from? Uh, All these years in Interpol and all the missions that we see. There is a reference in his Gen X run about him running afoul of like Dark Beast and Omega Red and even Magneto in some of his early Interpol appearances, but they're kind of short stories that don't get really explored, but there's a ton of history. There's a lot to delve into with this guy. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that, you know, when he is kind of like a government agent for the most part of his early days, and then even including being an NYPD officer. And I always thought it was weird that coming from those two kind of uh roles that he would just choose a ragtag group of vigilantes to like, get involved with it was such a departure like you're all about procedure and an order and these guys were the direct opposite of that in a near in the near future on my podcast we're going to talk about that time banshee was a cop in new york and why that was weird <laughs> it's just for oh, one you know what it's, it wasn't even weird it was almost stereotypical because we're talking about that <laughs> it was like oh a irish guy in new york being a cop that's actually right on the nose. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting that Claremont picked him, that he's like, you know, I'm going to have a couple holdovers and one of them is going to be Banshee. And I think that's just sort of sort of what he was going for with that initial composition, that I need representation from all around the world. So I mm-hmm. need a European. So it looks like Banshee's available. So why not? He's um, already here. Yeah, yeah. He, he's already here, and it, I can Claremont him if I want to, and then yeah. he chose not to Claremont <laughs> him, really. Like a character that comes with family and family baggage, and I feel like that just adds a lot more potential to his story, even though there's so much unexplored. But whenever whenever Banshee's there and the involvement and, and just the idea that not everyone passes on anything about their genetics or about their mutation, but he does into siren and just the the mystery and fight the are they friends are they brothers do they hate each other between him and tom i i just i love the dynamic that he comes with Mm -hmm. claremont Claremont in his early x-men stuff gave so much love to colossus nightcrawler storm wolverine cyclops uh sunfire was written right out thunderbird was written right out banshee stuck around for a minute but was also kind of written right out uh These characters that could have had a lot more exploration uh, become a little bit more ancillary as a result of that lack of exploration. But Banshee did get a little bit more than some of the others. 
That's because most of those guys' powers didn't fit into his narration. So that's that's pretty much what it is. And like, I feel like that's that's this is a side conversation, but I've often thought that Claremont would pick the mutants that fit the story and their powers would allow them that deus ex machina situation. Like, oh, because they're in this situation, this person's powers work. And because this person's in this situation, this part, you know, their power works. Banshee's powers was not universally applicable to everything especially given uh, what type of situation they were in. Like, sure. it, it, it's like, there's a lot of things that you can say about Claremont, good things and bad things, but I think that a lot of his runs, he would pick based on who their, what their power set was. So I'm gonna keep going with the narrative on Sean, and we'll pause to talk in a minute again. Uh, Banshee is a repeating guest star for many years in the X-Men, showing up from time to time to help the X-Men usually in stories based on Muir Island. And he kind of stays that way all until, all, I'm, I'm skipping over a bunch here, but all the way until the mid 1990s when he is suddenly so fit and so sexy dad. <laughs> there's, that, <laughs> there's that iconic image of him in the gray sweatpants changing in the room where everyone's like, oh my God, my sexual awakening is happening right now. <laughs> but I referenced his earlier Savage Land story where he's looking real good there too. So after all the X-Men are captured by the Phalanx, uh, Sean teams up with Emma Frost and others to save them. And in the aftermath, he and Emma become the new headmasters of a new group of teenage mutants basing themselves at the Massachusetts Academy. And this group would become to be known as Generation X. And most fans associate their positive memories with Banshee around this era of X-Men comics. He was the bold teacher, the father figure to a group of new mutants, fighting supervillains, hopping between dimensions, mourning tragic losses, and adapting himself over and over again as a good leader. He also walks around campus constantly, if you read Gen X again, in like short shorts and very tight shirts as he's like teaching the children. I'm like, I would be very distracted <laughs> in this environment. <laughs> he was always professionally looking like the hot gem teacher wearing like the gray shorts. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. And he had to have fucked Emma Frost at least once because how could she not? My word. Uh, anyway, uh, the, the way this man is drawn is insane in this era. And in Gen X, the story is very rarely about him and more about how he supports others, with a couple of rare, small exceptions. Uh, Banshee has a few key relationships outside of the Generation X students and his teammates in the X-Men. He's got a relationship of hard-earned respect and trust with Emma Frost. He's got a bitter rivalry with his cousin Black Tom and a very awkward father relationship with Siren that we're going to examine during the trial a bit. And then, of course, a very complicated lost love relationship with Moira McTaggart, who is now full on supervillain. And again, she skinned him and wore him to show how <laughs> awful she is as a villain. Now, that was a very effective story. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, Gabriella just gave me like a face. <laughs> I mean, I love horror, but that's that's a little that's a little fucked up. It, it was a yeah. lot. Tell me your thoughts on kind of Banshee's role in the X-Men, some of his key relationships. Uh, what are your thoughts on this section of his history? There aren't a lot of X-Men that are very clearly older than others, right? So they, they do a lot of batching them together. And, and just how many times he's been this role of the, the wise teacher, the, the class of teachers after Xavier Magneto, the the fact that he's always supportive and, and really playing this except for his own his own kid but then that's also in line with xavier magneto right <laughs> uh so it, it's kind of just it, it cements him in a place 
in relation to the other mutants that I feel like continues to stick out. And it makes me think of when he was in the first X-Men vote of Krakoa. I was like, oh, well, I mean, like, that's cool because he hasn't been there in a while. But I feel like he had, like, he did that. It'd almost be a step back for him, but. Hmm. I th- I agree that he was in a leadership role. He was obviously older and a mentor, especially in those Generation X years. And it was interesting to see him being looked up to. I just read all of Generation X last year. And um, my partner, Philip, is currently binging it right now. I just shoved <laughs> the last chunk of issues at him. Um, so I am serving as the Justin to his Alicia when it comes to Generation X. And I'm like, read these. And he's like, I'm actually really interested in this. And I'm like, good, good. Um, So it was really interesting being able to read that entire run basically within the span of a month compared to those of you who read it while it was coming out. Yeah, Because you really get to see the arc in its totality right away rather than have to wait and go through what's happening with different writers. And I think, again, he was the victim of, well, who's around that we can use in the X universe? Because Generation X came around 93, 94, Chad. Is that correct? And Dre, yeah, I mean, I don't know the year exactly, else. but that sounds about right. Yes. So, yeah. so you're seeing Uncanny and Adjectiveless both doing their things. And that's some stacked rosters. Like they're even pulling from the backbench a little sometimes for those rosters. So uh, when it comes to Generation X, you're like, well, who can I write that's available? And they're like, oh, Banshee's not doing jack shit right now. So, <laughs> hey, I'll pull him. And uh, 1994, Daryl. I just looked okay. at So uh, it's interesting to see how, again, he was sort of a remnant that another writer picked up. And they're like, oh, this character is available. What can I do? And they made him a hot dad. So, <laughs> hey, why not? And we got a few years of Hot Dad Banshee, and I'm not hating it. (laughs) There are a lot of moments of kind of body horror with him over the years. Him getting his throat cut, getting stabbed through the throat, having his mouth removed. I mean, a lot of the characters go through these moments. Uh, It's something they love to do to characters in comics. But Banshee has a shocking amount of those types of moments that... The visual of him being like horribly uh, mutilated in some way is uh, shown up a lot. And then the skin suit, of course, is the worst version of that. <laughs> that was just like a few months ago. And I, re- I was like, oh, my God. I, d- I remember <laughs> I, re- I did an Instagram live with Connor Goldsmith that night. And uh, we were both like, oh. <laughs> you turn the page and there's that image where you're like, holy shit, what just happened? <laughs> so out of nowhere. It was just a data page, I think, was before it. Because yeah. I you were talking about it and I confront my fears. It's not like it's a fear, it's just it's triggering. And so every time I you're not expecting it at all. You're reading this quaint conversation between Moira and Banshee, and then wow, he looks a little baggy. No, that's not Banshee. That's Banshee's skin. For many years, Sean and Moira were kind of like, I mean, it was more background, but they were kind of like a Gene and Scott relationship in the comics. They went on for a long, long time. When you yeah, add they were like a, crazy of Moira, it's nuts. They were almost like a super couple in that mm-hmm. sense, right? Like they were the ones, the stalwarts. Like if you ever saw anybody else in a relationship, it was them. Like they were the ones who were always together. Sean loved his wife and then he loved Moira. And those are really the only romantic relationships, unless you consider Emma, which I don't think counts. 
what do you think of his connection to Black Tom? Uh, the Black Tom Banshee stories are really interesting to consider. And Daryl, I know you read a couple of these more recently. As recently as this morning. And um, <laughs> almost like maybe, you were preparing for an episode. <laughs> maybe. Um, it was interesting to see their interplay and sort of the animosity and how they blame each other for some of the material I'll be covering, sort of the back and forth. And um, we'll get into judging him for that. But just the way that Black Tom felt responsible for making up for his absence was super interesting. Um, and his absence in several ways not only with his family, but also to his obligations to the castle full of leprechauns. And who's going to take care of those leprechauns? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the Black Tom, we'll, get, we'll have a trial of Black Tom one day on my podcast. It'll be a little while before we get there. But uh, the Black Tom dynamic between them, I feel like is worthy of so much more exploration. Uh, Black Tom's been pretty ancillary until his involvement in X-Force more recently. I would also love to see more of Tom and Teresa together. I think the dynamic between them is also really interesting. There's a ton to explore that just has never really made it onto the page outside of a few isolated scenes. Um, Banshee also has some key relationships. There's there's kind of a, a respect with Forge or Xavier or Cyclops where he's got he's got some respect among the team. But again, he's never he's never the top player. Uh, so it's interesting. I would love to see more of him with almost anyone. Uh, uh, he, he's a great character that just doesn't get explored as much as I would like. Uh, any other thoughts on this section? Yeah, I was really impressed with... I, I read the last issue of Generation X, I think, um, when it kind of disbanded and everybody sort of went off their own separate ways. And I was really impressed with, like, the positive role model behavior even though at the beginning of that issue even he was like being really rude and like you saw him like being rude to the kids in the kitchen and like pouring alcohol into his cup and like just sort of being like a like not the kind of dude you want to like be around on a monday morning and um but at the end like they all went to him and they were like hey so uh, Emma is being a little crazy and a little scary and we're growing up and we want to do other stuff. And as I was reading, I was like, oh, great. Like, what's going to happen? And he was like, all right, well, I'm on your team. Like, go have fun. Do what you need to do. I love you guys. Bye. And like, <laughs> it was just such a pot. Like, I was so like relieved because Emma was being really um evil like for lack of a better term at that time and so to see him be like yeah okay like he was just like being a good dad like go away have faith in all of you do your own thing and that was really nice yeah and and this is where i'll kind of take the reins again moira's death really affected him in the comics it changed the character which is where we're going to spend the bulk of our trial today is after generation x there's a lot of banshee's history that you simply can't put him on trial for because he was the hero in all those stories. Uh, but when Moira died, things got bad. He started drinking and made a lot of really bad decisions. And uh, it's after Generation X that we'll spend most of our time today. Let's talk about Banshee's powers for just a few minutes. And the, the interesting thing, and I'll set this up before we go, I, I think one it's difficult for writers to kind of grasp his powers. He has to scream, but also fly. And then if he's screaming, can he talk while he's flying? And like, there's all these little dynamics that have to be worked out. But one of the interesting things is Siren is a really popular character that's been used on long runs. 
And she has kind of the same power set with some subtle differences. So if you can do it with Siren, why can't we do it with Banshee? Which is one of the interesting things to consider. So Banshee has an intense sonic scream, which can be used in many ways, but most often it's as powerful sonic blasts that he directs his others uh, to powerful and sometimes devastating effect. Uh, when you stack them up next to characters like Cyclops uh, or Boom Boom or other characters can blow shit up. I mean, his is kind of the same thing, except it's from a sonic space and it comes out of his mouth instead of his hands or eyes. Uh, so he his powers, I think, can sometimes be seen as a little bit redundant by writers who are using him. Uh, he uh, His power source is kept in his mighty vocal cords. He can, while screaming, use the sonic vibrations to soar through the air, which imagine being carried by this guy. And he's just screaming <laughs> your ears. <laughs> You'd need some serious earplugs. <laughs> Sean can also use this scream to do several other things, but he doesn't often use these abilities. These are kind of, they showed up in one or two appearances. He can create temporary vibrational shields. He can send out sonar for tracking purposes. He can affect the inner ear of someone, which can affect their balance or their consciousness, or even he can even put someone in a brief vocal trance. And this is, these some of these more subtle power sets are things we've seen Teresa do a little bit more often, uh, especially during Peter David stories where she can kind of influence somebody's mind or thoughts or uh, use this kind of softer uh, space in her her powers in that uh, more subtle way. In the more recent comics in Legion of X, they're finally doing something new with Banshee, and we'll get to that toward the end of the trial. But uh, he has been merged with something called the Spirit of Variance, which we'll talk about in a while. Uh, he's calling himself Vox Ignis now, which takes away the problem of him having a female spirit's code name, right? <laughs> uh, uh, the Vox Ignis is Latin for the voice of fire. His powers are stronger and sharper. His skull glows with black fire. We're not exactly sure what the extent of these new abilities or purposes are, but he's it's very visually stunning on the page. And I'm really excited to see them doing something new with this guy who needed a, a key story that was about him. So bravo, Cy Spurrier in Legion of X. It's great. Uh, so let's talk about his power set for just a minute. There's, uh, there's an episode of X-Men the Animated Series that I just had to Google the image of, of Banshee carrying Wolverine. And he's just freaking out about the fact that he's got to plug his ears because Banshee has to scream the, the entire time. And it's something that you don't think of until you're confronted with it, especially in an audio-based medium versus comic. It's like, yeah, no, he's there's a word bubble and he's taking breaths in between and you, you make it work and it's fine. Yeah. I, I think it's so interesting that him having his power based in his chest and his throat seems to make that that much more of a target than other people. Like how, how many times has someone gone for Cyclops's eyes, right? Versus how many times they're constantly trying to take out Banshee's throat in some way. Uh, I, I don't know if that's just because of the delivery of uh, where the power is coming from, but I just, that, that stuck out to me as we were thinking about uh, Banshee and where his powers come from. And that happens to Teresa more than once as well, the slashing of the vocal cords. It's also interesting, you know, I didn't make the connection until you said it, but the fact that, you know, in the beginning of, of this backstory, you're talking about how he was originally intended to be a female character, which is probably why he was named Banshee. And then they were like, well, make him a man, but we don't <laughs> name. it's fine. We don't have to think about it. And I just, I just think that that's interesting because, you know, I'm sure there are people who complain about that as fans, you know, and they're like, why? But do they know? 
Does everybody know that Banshee was supposed mm-hmm. to be a girl? Because I didn't know. Yeah, this, I don't think that's I don't think that's largely known because I have this never is one of the, this is one of the questions I asked Roy Thomas directly when I interviewed him, and he tells me that story. So go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear it from the horse's mouth. See, people need to be paying more attention. They need to be listening to this show more often. <laughs> that information. <laughs> the idea of if you're being carried by him and he screams and you have to plug your ears. But then when he stops screaming, he's talking to you, but then you're like falling out of the sky. Right. And he's got to scream again. Like that's I, I would just rather someone else carry me, please. No, is no. Rogue available? Right. That's what the wings are for. That's what his weird bullseye yellow and black striped like arm wings on the suit. It's I so- think they help him like float on the sonic vibrations, but I right. don't yeah. think the wings help him fly. fly but yeah. like if you yell. And then you're floating. You might like dip a little, but you're not. It's like a hang glider effect, right? It's like Spider Man's like When you jump, you get momentum and then that glides you for a little. And then you need to like yell out some more momentum. And then, so you can have your conversations in your gliding moments. Just think about putting him on like X Force or something covert up and you can never do anything to sneak up on anyone (laughs) because he's. (laughs) But but if he does. Could he have, could he like yell at a vibration that we can't hear? Yeah. And I think that's the key because you got to use the more subtle sides of his power where he's creating shields, influencing minds, putting people to sleep, right? The, the, the more subtle areas of his power where the scream is then the most powerful blast. Like, I think you could do a lot with this power set. Well, I mean, I, but okay. So follow me because, you know, we're talking about comic book science. <laughs> the idea that his powers shields himself, like, because, you know, it's psionic based. So if it shields himself, it would make sense that whoever he's carrying is protected by the same shield. That's you know I mean? true. Maybe he puts like a little sonar area around them. Like he can, yeah, he can extend it to affect yeah. or not have his powers affect that person. Because I've seen him carry people before with no problem. Like, yeah. I've seen him carry Emma before with, without a problem. Wolverine just has to gripe about everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Wolverine just griped. I think they just wrote it that way. But, like, I'm, I, like I've seen him carry members of Gen X. I've seen him carry other people. Well, yeah. and Wolverine's got extra sensitive ears. That's true. <laughs> I would also add that if the sound is going out this way, like, as long as you're behind it, you're not... Maybe, yeah. I would love the concept that whenever Sean flies, he always carries an extra set of earplugs, but he <laughs> didn't give them to Wolverine just as a joke. He <laughs> <laughs> looks really stupid about it. Fantastic. You can heal. It's fine. Right. Uh, the other component of his powers, then we won't talk about this much, but he is one of those parents that is known to pass their powers on to their child. So he and Siren have nearly the same power set. We've seen this with Mastermind and his daughters, with Magneto and Polaris. Uh, there's there's a few examples of that kind of father to son. Uh, Xavier's got a couple telepathic kids. Like we, So we've kind of seen this happen a few times in comics. And uh, just like Cyclops and Havoc are immune to each other's powers, uh, Son- uh, Banshee and uh, Black Tom are also immune to each other's powers, which is an interesting uh, connection as well. Although Black Tom used to just be able to fire energy out of would now he controls plants so there's like more aspects to black tom anyway 
so I think we're going to go ahead and jump into the trial portion. Already I'm kind of seeing this character in, in, in a new light, but again, as I'm reading these chronologies and kind of stacking it up, you see these same characters used over decades by different writers, and you kind of try to piece out who they are together and you know where they pick up certain parts of him. The uh, I'm just going to reiterate, I want to see more of his family stuff. I want to see more of his Interpol stuff. I want to see more of him as a powerhouse and a detective. This guy has a lot of skill sets that just don't get used. Uh, and were he a regular member of a team, I think there's a tremendous amount of potential for this character. Um, Which is why he should have won that vote. I, I still think he should have won that vote. Yeah, I mean, going back to what was brought up earlier, uh, and not to derail what we're about to talk about, um, but he had an opportunity there to be brought back into uh, the spotlight because that's kind of what the vote is. Like, it's now being able to cherry pick X-Men who have been long forgotten, long since dead, who are just now kind of back. I think that would have gave him a brand new audience to be reintroduced to because, uh, you know, just like Alicia said, she really didn't know anything about him until Moria wore his skin. Like, she like, was this person? So, like, it was a missed opportunity to bring him back, especially given the history he has with the X-Men, like, and just teaching their younger generation. Like, that, that should have been something, somebody who came back. This is a small component of why I love these trials, but I also love being involved in Alicia's X-Men education as she gets into the old stuff. She's like, oh, I learned about Mesmero today. Yeah, I love it. I learned so much here. So beneficial to my education. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay, so with that, we're going to jump into the trial section. For those of you who may not be familiar with our trials, we present five sections of Banshee's history on... Uh, for which we are putting him on trial. I'm acting as the judge, but I also judge, or but I also vote with the jury. Uh, so each person here has been assigned one particular section, which they will give us a prosecution and a defense on. Uh, afterward, we vote and we take a score at the end. Uh, and uh, this guy has a couple dark turns, and we're going to talk about those dark turns. But I had to get a little creative with the trial points because, again, most of his stuff is pretty heroic. Uh, so when we get to the voting section, we uh, we are going to use a voting scale from one to five. We will be voting. Feel free to vote as you listen along. Uh, we'll be voting. Uh, one means justifiable action. Two means morally concerning. Three means definitely inappropriate. Four is over the line into criminal behavior. And five is pure evil. So it's kind of an escalating scale. And I have been asked this a few times through uh, direct messages. I'll address this publicly. The characters we're putting on trial are those that have appeared in the 60s comics that I've covered in the podcast thus far. And there's still a pretty big list of characters I haven't covered yet. But people keep asking when I'm going to get to like Rogue or Wolverine or Sabretooth. And I'm not going to do those trials until they come up chronologically in the podcast as I'm doing them. Uh, but just for clarification, I have not yet done Polaris or Jean Grey or Iceman or Cyclops. And there are still more villains to cover. So we'll talk more about that as we go. But I do have plans for all of these characters in the next year. Sign uh, me up for the trial of Cyclops. Oh, there's a lot of interest. <laughs> I we just did two focused Cyclops episodes on my pod. One we released today with Sean McKeever. Uh, we, uh, yeah, there's a lot of opinions on Cyclops. I'm excited. <laughs> when we get there, when we get there. Uh, okay, so with that, we're going to start. Uh, trial point one, we're simply calling estranged father. And I want to be clear, we have excused other people's shitty father 
<laughs> techniques in past trials. But uh, because of the history, we're going to go ahead and include this section because uh, it's all I could come up with. Daryl, <laughs> uh, Daryl, uh, Daryl uh, Lawrence is the jury member assigned here because he's the X Factor guy and he's spending time with Teresa. So that seemed appropriate. Okay, in this section, after months of being away from home, Sean Cassidy returned to discover his wife Maeve had been killed in a bombing. Grieving, Sean lashed out in a fury, blaming his cousin Tom for not taking care of Maeve, and he hit Tom with a sonic scream. Tom was badly wounded, harming his leg and giving him a permanent limp. Then Sean flew away, never giving Tom a chance to learn, he, excuse me, never giving himself a chance to learn that he had an infant daughter, Teresa. Tom raised Teresa on his own, but he got increasingly involved in crimes, so Teresa was sent off to boarding school where she became dependent on alcohol as a young teen. Years later, Sean returned and was the one to bust Tom for his crime, sending him off to jail where he would meet his future husband, Juggernaut, although that's not canon, uh, and unknowingly, <laughs> unknowingly leaving Teresa without a parent. Sean still didn't know she existed. He finally met her and was thrilled to have a daughter. And she, as a young adult, moved to Muir Island with him for a time. And that's where all the Shadow King crazy stuff happened. Teresa, who uses the codename Siren, joins Cable's paramilitary unit X-Force, a decision that Sean is, was not thrilled about. He finally is confronted with the truth of her upbringing and her alcoholism, as well as her complicated relationship to Tom, who is more of a father figure to her than Sean ever was. They try to rekindle, Sean and Teresa, try to rekindle their relationship for a time. And they soon team up to aid Deadpool of all people in a mission together. And by the way, Teresa dates Deadpool for a minute. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> Sean becomes the headmaster of Generation X and tries poorly to grow closer to Teresa when she had her throat cut by Farrell and became alcoholic and suicidal. Sean tried reaching out to her, but she pushed him away. After Banshee was killed, he left Teresa memorabilia behind, his pipe and his castle. Most recently in the comics, Sean and Tom got into a fight at the castle, and Teresa had to remind them both that she was in charge of it now. That's a lot of history summed up over a lot of years, but the key issues in this section are Uncanny X-Men 148, X-Force 31 and 35, Deadpool 1 through 4, Generation X-44, X-Force 91, X-Factor Volume 3, number 7, and most recently, X-Men Unlimited, the Infinity Comic, number 26. Let me turn it over to Daryl for this section. All right. So I think we are really judging, is Banshee a deadbeat dad or not? And there are several ways that we can tackle this. Um, I think chronologically is probably best with his history. Um, he went off and left his wife for several months in the care of his maybe gay cousin. But beside that point, this cousin had been a romantic rival for Maeve. It, it is framed as, you know, it was either going to be a Sean or myself marrying Maeve. Sean closed the deal because he probably closed the deal and Tom didn't feel like he wanted to. Um, and... They get married. He's like, oh, but I got this job. So, Tom, you cool? You just want to hang with my wife that we were in competition for? It's very, like, Wuthering Heights. And um, that beside everything. So, Sean is off doing his job with Interpol 
for months and months and apparently hasn't been in touch. Like then Maeve dies and he blames Tom because he left his gay cousin in charge of his own wife, um, not taking responsibility for that fact and injures Tom without really a conversation involved. It's just a lot of blame, blame, blame. I'm going to hurt you. And then I'm flying away by screeching E at the ground. Um, then we fast forward. He finally finds out that he has a daughter and he's like, oh, well, I feel really bad. But if you focus on Terry's childhood, it's really Tom who should have been up front with his cousin and said, hey, man, you know what? You have a kid. And instead, Tom took that responsibility on himself. And maybe to fund um, having a child, he turns to a life of crime. I'm going to say it's that um, he didn't know how to effectively budget for a child because he previously was a gay man with a lot of disposable income. So um, <laughs> then he turns to crime and he's like, you know what? Crime isn't good for a kid, so I'll use some of this loot to send you to a private school. But Terry sort of knows what's going on and just drinks. And she starts drinking at the age of 13. So uh, I don't want to put Tom on trial for being a pet, bad parent because he is guilty of that. I mean... There's no way to really proclaim his innocence. However, Sean, on the other hand, once he realizes I have a daughter, he tries awkwardly to make a connection with her. Um, like, hey, you're murdering people. That's cool. I'm teaching some kids. And there is a really sweet issue of Gen X where she has a layover at Logan Airport and... Um, he kind of just chills with her and they finally have a really good moment, I think, as this family. It's not traditional father-daughter relationship. It is what they're making of it. And um, she sort of reaches the point where she's like, I don't blame you for what happened, um, which is really sweet. Um, you progress to what my podcast covers, X Factor, where Sean dies and... Terry doesn't believe it. She's in full denial. Um, Chad, as you say, one of the pieces of memorabilia she gets is an entire ass castle full of leprechauns. And um, Banshee records a death message to her on a DVD just in case. And she's in denial for a long time. Like we are talking a chunk of issues where she does not admit that Sean is dead. She's like, no, everyone comes back. It's fine. Which she's actually right about that. Um, and then in the recent Unlimited comic, I was really happy to see this when it came out, where all of a sudden you get this sort of family dynamic of Tom and Banshee fighting because Sean goes and uses a Krakoa gate to see... Cassidy keep because he's like oh well it's St. Patrick's Day maybe I should actually do something Irish and go to my <laughs> castle and he goes and like the entryway is dusty and then he's blaming Tom for killing like the overseer of everything and Terry comes back and who's she's a, like who's Eamon O'Donnell is a Claremont character <laughs> and so he's dead but he'll probably be resurrected at some point and um the they get in a fight terry comes back and she's like what are you doing you're basing your judgment off of the fact that one room is dirty and the leprechauns gave me the day off they sent me to this beautiful place and you're really kind of fucking up my day of relaxation <laughs> like i had to uh, 
like climb out of the mud bath to come here. Okay. Um, but it was a fun little flashback to their family dynamic and what went on. And she was like, oh, no, 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 dad, this isn't your castle. You died. You died and gave me this castle and you're not getting it back because you bequeathed it to me. So uh, I really, uh, the question I want answered by the jury is not whether he is guilty or innocent um, or bearing any responsibility for being an estranged father. It's whether he has made it up to Terry in property and money um, and, has <laughs> bought, and has bought her love yet um, <laughs> with everything that he left her and trying to make up the fact that he wasn't around because he wasn't really absentee because he didn't know that he was absent from her life. Um, he just wasn't around. And do you think that he has reach that point where he is a good dad to her now or not. Does anyone who know who killed Banshee the first time? Vulcan. It was fucking Vulcan. Oh, that yes. guy. Deadly Genesis with the plane. Uh, yeah, Deadly Genesis. Yeah. Yeah, we forget Deadly Genesis is uh is a crazy story. Uh what uh what clarifying points does the jury need on this section to make their vote? Or does anyone just have comments on Banshee as a dad? I feel like <laughs> I feel like to Daryl's point, eventually, and I think by no means through Banshee's own device, that Terry actually does get Cassie to keep just out of uh proxy, really, right? Like because he had died and I guess it just went to her in so the in DVD he... in the DVD recording with him riding on horseback. Um, he does <laughs> say like, Oh, you get everything, including this castle have fun. And he gallops away into the sunset. <laughs> so it, is, it is official. It wasn't like some default law. He did actively give it to her in the event of his death. And then yeah. she took his code name for a while. She became the Banshee for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I vaguely remember scenes of them just speaking. I think there are moments where he did say that he was proud of her, especially during her time on the X-Force days. And I, I'm trying to struggle to remember. I think they had a moment right before they thought that the world was going to end, right before Age of Apocalypse hit. So I, I believe they had a moment there. Um, but like, I don't know if he justifiably had done anything to make up for the fact that he wasn't around. And like you said, like it wasn't his fault he didn't know. But what were the things that we did not get a chance to see him make up for? Sure. Or if he ever yeah. did it. Like, you know, there's those moments where you like you. Ex I think what we expect sometimes is for uh, these characters to act like a real life person. Mm -hmm. And you would want them to make up for the time that they lost. Like, yes, Cyclops may have been several people's father but he was not everyone's father. Like sure. there weren't times where he was able to say, except for maybe Cable, I've been there for you, you know? So, you know, please forgive me. Or, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't around. Like, I don't think he well, ever got those moments. We'll talk about Cyclops as a father another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess like my question was kind of similar in that, you know, you're making a great point. Daryl of like he gave her a castle okay <laughs> that's, that's nice but full of leprechauns that do the chores but only once <laughs> but only once he was dead you know 
That's like mm. after I'm gone. So like, what are you doing while you're here? Are you checking up on her? Are you trying to spend time with her? Are you trying to like foster a relationship? So I guess in terms of, you know, depending on how much a castle is worth, if you're trying to like balance <laughs> castle <laughs> finances versus quality time, this like, is love. you know, do they even out? Maybe, but he does, he does have moments where he speaks out loud about I'm trying and I don't know how to connect with her. Right. Like okay. we're so different from each other. And she does forgive him uh, out loud on a couple of occasions as well. All right. Okay. All right. We also, Daryl, you asked, can we blame him for kind of going off and working? I mean, there are people out there who have jobs that take them away for months at a time, and he never knew Maeve was pregnant. And I'm going to assume she didn't have the ability to contact him, right? So Tom is to blame for a lot of this, obviously. Yeah, I think what it makes me think of is, did Sean do a better job as accepting and trying than Xavier did with Legion? And I think yes. absolutely right. So the baseline we've established the baseline. Okay, and then Sean is on the other side of that line and has at least tried to. Of course, you know who knows what Xavier would leave. Yeah, I guess uh, the Westchester Mansion would also be comparable to a castle, but still, he would never leave that to anyone. No. That was no. to his X-Men because those are his real children. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, if you when you put it that way, Banshee compared to say Wolverine, Charles Xavier, and Scott right. is literally fucking father of the year. Right. He was able to get her something. Daryl, was this uh was this uh an education or a, a joy to read? Was this interesting for you to delve into this relationship? It was. Um the Deadpool stuff, as you mentioned, it was real weird how they started alluding to Siren being attracted to Deadpool. And she's like, oh, I don't care about your looks, which is admirable. But also, what then are you attracted to with him? <laughs> like, I think um, he was drunk. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. we can, we can, no, we can say we can say Deadpool is the Pete Davidson of Marvel Comics because you don't know how. <laughs> He's doing it. He's just doing it. It's his humor. And I'm going to say that. <laughs> so it was interesting even going there back then and reading sort of early solo deadpool like this is the first four issue miniseries that deadpool had solo so it was uh, um interesting to see how they had to leverage current characters um to fill in some of those things and the fact that they chose these two mm -hmm. and it is a black tom centered storyline as well so mm -hmm. Um, you're seeing sort of uh, how Black Tom really fucked up his life, like bad. And I <laughs> I mean, I read the early issue that I was assigned, and then you fast forward here and you're like, what happened in between? What happened to this man? Where this it... is this is an era of comics where they couldn't state it out right, but Fabian Nicieza was clearly clearly painting them as a gay couple, and it was an AIDS allegory because Black Tom has AIDS and juggernauts running around like my husband is dying and I'm helpless and I'm gonna commit crimes to try to get medical bills paid. It's uh it's 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 uh and you guys have also, if you've heard my pod, you've heard me gush over Ian Churchill's art in that Deadpool series when I had Ian on. Uh I love I love that series. It's so pretty that image of like juggernaut on fire like running out of like, god i love it beautiful <laughs> yeah so it was a lot of fun to read um and to see how even as current as this year they were still developing that relationship yeah. like it is still very much a work in progress mm -hmm. 
Well, let's vote on this section. Uh, Gabriella, would you like to go first? Yeah, so one is the is the fine, right? One, one is like justifiable and then it increases up to five. See, I feel like it's one or maybe one and a half because I do think also that something that we haven't like quite mentioned was Banshee's issues with her. He might think it's because they're so different and they don't have anything in common, but they're both alcoholics who seem to have really similar powers, have really similar issues, and deal with their really similar powers and issues in the exact same way. So I don't really buy that they're that different, but I also think that makes it harder for him to be like, as he's drinking every day and drunk every day, like, hey, don't drink. It's a really bad way to cope with your problems. Like, to me, that makes it more real and like not a bad thing. He's just trying to deal with his own shit while he's also trying to be a dad for the first time sure. to an adult who is just like him. So I think uh, Andre. I would I agree. I mean, we can say that it's kind of morally concerning because it's one thing to be like, I'm an estranged father. And it's another thing to be, I'm an estranged father. And then also a raging alcoholic at the same time, like completely <laughs> avoiding dealing with those certain issues. So one is justifiable, two is morally concerning. Is it a one or a yes. two for you? Yeah, two, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. no, you're great. I just uh, clarifying. It yes, is a right. one for me. And one of the interesting parts about this trial point is we keep talking about Banshee as a dad to the Gen X kids. And then we're literally talking about his actual like fatherhood, which is an interesting uh, comparison. Uh, Justin. I think it's a one for me as well. Uh, you know, he, he did try. There, there are some places that he could have tried some more and or done some more, but uh, I think I'm not, I'm not concerned about this one just yet, just yet. Alicia? Yeah, there's a part of me that wants to say two because I feel like I have to vote something other than a one this entire trial, but I <laughs> just can't do it. So I'm going to have to go number one on this. It's like, you know, he's just, He's just being a guy, trying to get by. Find it out he has a daughter. So, uh, Gabriella's section, you may get higher than a one. We'll see. Right, uh, cool. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Daryl finally. Oh, one. A uh, castle makes up for a lot of missed birthdays. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. That gives us a seven out of thirty, and then we will go to trial point two, which is the X Core space. Uh, they recently laughed in the comics about how this this era of X Core was called X Core, and more recently, it's the X Corps, which is fascinating. Uh, so, this is uh, this is uh, Uncanny X Men four hundred one through four hundred six, and Generation X number seventy five are the key issues here. Uh, Gabriela Garbero is the signed jury member here. After Moira McTaggart seemingly died, it was really a Shi'ar golem, which is a story for another time, uh, Sean went dark, turned to alcohol, and quit Generation X before launching and running the massive X-Core operation. He professed to no longer care about humans during this era, and he employed mutants, including many criminals, in monitoring mutant affairs around the world by force. And he recruited many other former allies, including Multiple Man, Husk, Chamber, Jubilee, Monet, as well as Radius from Alpha Flight. Using funds from secret Interpol and Factor 3 bank accounts, and those are both parts of his past, if you recall. Uh, he built massive headquarters and began forcibly recruiting criminals, including Surge, who was secretly Mystique, uh, Mastermind, the character Martinique Jason, 
Blob, Avalanche, Fever Pitch, and Abyss. And he used Mastermind's powers to brainwash those who might not join the group willingly. Sean ignored the concerns of the X-Men, feeling that he was fighting for the greater good. And he begins sparring with the military arm, ARM, which stands for the Acculturation Resistant Movement, who wanted mutants dead. In the end, Sean was betrayed by Mystique, who stabbed him through the throat as she took over X-Corps. He ended up freeing Abyss, who disappeared with Mystique. So this is kind of an era of uh, military justice at any cost, if you will. It's a dark turn for the character. Let me turn it over to Gabriella. Yeah, so um, this, to me, is an interesting story because it really comes down to the same issue being reiterated a bunch of different ways, which is like, you started this paramilitary group, how dare you, says the X-Men who are part of it. <laughs> okay, let's just like get that out there as like the elephant in the room. Like, really, Nightcrawler, you're that upset about it? I don't understand. Anyway, <laughs> so I separated it into several issues, uh, or like problems, I should say, not comic book issues. Um, the first is that the X-Corps are a paramilitary group operating outside the law. The second one is that he hired criminals, sometimes forcibly so. And the third is that he used bank accounts seized and frozen by Interpol to pay for all of the fancy equipment that they have. Okay. So when you look at the paramilitary thing, to talk about the to talk about the elephant in the room, um in 401, I'm kidding, X number 401. Uh, Nightcrawler asks him, like, why'd you do this? And he says, in so many ways, I've sought to serve that dream, what Charles Xavier espoused. I've carried on, uh, I've carried with me always through every incarnation I've taken part of. So you can see he's really just trying to continue the Charles Xavier example, which is a problem, no doubt, but he's trying to do it for a good reason. And um, he also says in 402, quote, we were past due for a new idea, don't you think? Reactionary concepts plus revolutionary emotion. This is how we achieve unity, which I think outside of the context that he's talking about is actually like kind of a really beautiful idea. Like the fact that we are reacting against all of this oppression and the anger that that brings up in us is actually something that can be used to make us better and to help us protect ourselves. Um, the other thing I also want to point out that I felt like kept getting swept under the rug during these issues is that when in the little blurb that you wrote, Chad, you said he doesn't care about humans. And I think that's very true. It's not about the humans for him. He's just trying to police mutants. So he's trying to make sure mutants are protected from both humans and other mutants. It's not about doing a police force against the humans, just trying to protect mutants and let mutants get away with stuff. He's just trying to incorporate mutants into the police structure that already exists for humans, which I think makes it more like morally understandable because the cops are going to hate mutants no matter what. So they're never going to get fair policing on that end when it's from a human perspective. So he's just trying to continue the trend 
of you know making yeah it's really strict and i have problems with that that i'm gonna talk about but he's not you know he's not like making it a war the way magneto is against the humans um also i think in 403 nightcrawler says that the x core is one step away from conscripting mutants to enforce laws against each other um which in the context of the story he is conscripting uh criminal mutants so i get that that's why he said that but i do think that that's also kind of what x-men are doing with like getting children to come to the x mansion and see all this really cool equipment and all these really cool like like you know everything like oh let's fight let's fight and like yeah yeah okay we all are on the same page of that everybody's nodding so i assume i don't have to say anymore <laughs> i mean he's literally created a new police force on the krakoa era right now so it's like, yeah. it's like 360 like you're doing the exact same thing you just talked about <laughs> yeah, which at the same time though it doesn't make it right no no but you see there is it it needs to be somebody else criticizing him not the people who are another um group that's criticizing what he's doing is the arm which is a group of humans that explicitly said we will kill mutants on site we're not trying to get along we're trying to just kill them all and make it so that that genetic reality like doesn't exist anymore so i think in um i think it was like 404 and 405 they were fighting pretty directly with the arm but they were also defending themselves because the ARM had a shoot on site order and they were all over the news talking about how uh, mutants are a scourge on everyone and they all deserve to die and it doesn't matter what they're doing or why. And I think it is a that what um, uh, what Banshee is doing is a gentler version of what Magneto is doing. And I think that's okay. I think that's pretty okay. Now, how violent he is and the fact that he is um, recruiting criminals to do it isn't great, but I'm going to go out on a weird limb and say that he's a job creator and the criminals <laughs> are not doing anything anyway. So, I mean, he's controlling them by controlling their minds, so I feel like it's okay. Um, obviously, <laughs> it wasn't. Obviously, it wasn't because he ended up being killed, but um, uh, uh, he saw Super Tide Squad and he really liked it. Okay. Um, and then uh, he also, there was a small part where uh, it was, I think it was Blob and somebody else, but I can't remember who. But um, they were two of his like recruits and he actually complimented them on showing restraint. He said to them, you did a really good job today showing restraint better than you have been before, which means he's trying to teach them and train them and make them better people, which I think is great. Um, and I also think that using the bank accounts uh, that were seized by Interpol um, to pay for equipment uh, is the same as um, civil forfeiture, which cops actually do now. Um, and I don't think that's okay, but I would rather it be used for equipment than used for question mark, which is kind of how it is now. It goes into a black hole of a bank account that you never see again and don't know what happened, what happens to it. So that's my opinion. 
It's interesting as you're talking, Gabriella, Banshee goes from being like the paragon of what an X-Men leader should be during his time in Gen X to becoming kind of the worst parts of Magneto and Xavier mixed together. He's like taking the matters into his own hands and also controlling minds to make people go his direction. Uh, it's an interesting thing. The most problematic part for me in this is the the removal of will from people. Uh, using someone's powers to change people's minds and conscript them into service. And obviously he's very unwell. He's drinking. He's got like good guys joining up because they trust him, but he's also making the bad guys work for him as well and using it as an excuse for the greater good, which is kind of what Beast is doing right now. And it's super not okay. Uh, uh, Mystique comes after him too. And she's got her reasons and she just fucking stabs him through the, through the throat. Uh, but uh, you get the you get the portrayal in the story that he's very much acting out of grief. Uh, Moira is dead, and he doesn't give a shit anymore. So I'm just gonna go dark. It's a uh, it's like when Willow goes bad and Buffy after Tara gets shot, right? Like it's a it's a dark turn for this guy for a minute. Any? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, and my um, oh my gosh, I forgot my entire train of thought, but I had a headcanon, and I think about something obviously it's not important never mind go on <laughs> any, uh, <laughs> any comments or questions uh from the jury on this section of banshee's history um no i think you hit it right on the head when you know it, it took a very dark turn for him since he was such uh the the paragon of virtue like in that sense because he was the x-men that kind of was the more um morally centered version because of his values. Um, so for him to be like, well, you know, I'm going to do this because this is what Xavier kind of taught me to. And then I'm going to do it to a very distinctive drum is what Magneto taught me to. It's the same case of my two dads with, with, with uh, Cyclops at that one point in time. Like they, he kind of learned from the both of them and he was forging his own path, but it was still kind of shady to me. Yeah. He was manipulating people. Yeah, Chad, even when you were saying like he took the worst parts, so it kind of build off of Andre, what you're talking about. He, he sampled those two dads' worst features in mm -hmm. how they led and, and just doubled down with it. Like when Mystique comes at you and says, You're fucking up, like you're fucking up. Like, <laughs> you need to listen. <laughs> you know? uh, she kills everyone. Yeah. Right. Like if Mystique thinks you're bad, then that's not a good guy. <laughs> she, she takes quality, you know, pride in that, that evilness and uh and that, that skill who's i have a question whose powers was he using to manipulate minds one of the lady masterminds she can oh, like she can like use know. telepathy and illusion to change your will basically it was it was martinique right or mm -hmm. yeah i will say this might affect things but he did have her um locked in the basement when he was doing this Oh no, <laughs> that is definitely <laughs> okay. I'm not worried about my one anymore. Yeah, no, 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 no. He wasn't. My, he wasn't under, he wasn't under the rest here. He was doing some shitty shit. <laughs> oh man. Um, I want to be mad about this storyline, but it's actually kind of it's decent. I think it's an okay turn for the character when you consider 60 years of history. I also said last time, and this is for Justin and Alicia specifically. After Vanisher and Eunice, I'm like, I don't have to read Factor Three again, and then fucking Banshees in Factor Three. God damn it! Gotcha. <laughs> 
but you'll notice I did not put Banshee on trial for Factor Three because it just he didn't want to be there. They put a little mind control helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we good to go ahead and vote in this section? Yeah, uh, Andre, go first. <laughs> it, this is this is over the line criminal behavior. This is a four. <laughs> like, heads heads down. It's a four. It's a four to me as well. I mean, he's fighting this a ARM group, which is like human anti-mutant group number 73 in the comic books at this point. <laughs> like, uh, but but uh, it's the mind control stuff. Uh, I'm pissed yeah. at Xavier for this shit, so I got to be pissed at Banshee for it too. Uh, you have, yeah, you just have to be. Like, yes, he may be... He may have his best intentions, but the way he's going about it is it's very, it's criminal behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah for me too. Uh, Justin? Yeah, I'm, I'm steady on a four. Might even go five if I could be talked into it, but I, I, I'd say four. I'm going to land at four. Fair. Uh, Daryl? I'll go with a four as well. Alicia? I'm going five, okay? I was going to go four if you were to tell me that he was, like, teaming up with some other mutant. I was like, okay, he's using mind control. All right, but they're they're on a team. And then Gabrielle was like, oh, sidebar, she was locked in the basement. I'm like, okay, five. Like, you are just getting more and more evil as this conversation goes on. I'm really sorry for you, Banshee, but it's five for me, hands down. And uh, Gabriella. So... I'm going to say four, and the only reason I'm even going that high is because of the basement thing. The mind control, I remembered what I was going to say before. Um, I think that he was only partially using mind control because of the one time that he was like, hey, good job on showing restraint. So even though he might have been like using mind control to get them in, I do think that he was letting them kind of be free when they were in. but i don't i don't i don't fucking know i don't like the, i don't like the basement thing either that, that's like, <laughs> he was using blob and abyss instead of like saber tooth and mesmerose yeah. i mean it could have been worse <laughs> all right with that let's go to trial point three this is a section called horseman of death the jury member assigned is mr justin wilder uh note in his chronology here he's brought back an x-men deadly genesis and blown up in a plane by vulcan while trying to save civilians and then he's brought back to life during Necrotia and then again during Chaos War. And then he's dead again. Uh, so then we have this crazy story. And I don't have time to delve into these characters, but Archangel has been turned dark by like the seed of apocalypse. Go back and listen to the Angel Trial, where we weirdly don't bring up his children. I just didn't mention it. But he has uh, two kids with, uh, with the character Pestilence. Uh, and uh, their names are uh, Ayman and Uriel, and they are, uh, they're called the Apocalypse Twins, and they're taken into the future by Clan Akaba and Kang the Conqueror, and it's a really long, bizarre story, but it's good. Uh, anyway, they have a mission, and they come back into the past to, like, rewrite reality in their name so they can conquer the world for mutants, and it works until reality is reverted. But while they are here, they recruit their own horsemen of uh, Apocalypse to serve them. And they are using celestial death seeds, which is what happens to power up these horsemen. Uh, and they, uh, they're they trying to usher in what they call their rapture, which will lead to mutants forming their own civilization on another planet and Earth being destroyed. And again, they were temporarily successful. So before all this happens, their four horsemen are Banshee, Dawkin, the Sentry, and the Grim Reaper. 
And Banshee's wearing all black. Uh, he kidnaps the Scarlet Witch while he's serving them. He beats down Havoc with a sonic scream and kicks him in the head. Later, he's battling. This they're they're fighting the Avengers Unity Squad. This is the Uncanny Avengers series. Uh, we we have a lot to say about this in the Havoc trial too. Uh, anyway, uh, he's battling Havoc and Wasp and Captain America. And at one point, he screams into Captain America's face, which makes Captain America hard of hearing for a while, which is kind of hilarious, actually. Uh, <laughs> then he he's defeated when Wasp fries his vocal cords again. And then they put him into stasis. Uh, he's like in suspended animation for a while. And then eventually the Apocalypse Twins are defeated. So if you didn't know, Banshee was a horseman of Apocalypse for a minute. This is something I think a lot of people forget about. The key issues here are Uncanny Avengers 9 and 10, 12 and 13, and 23. Uh, let me turn it over to Mr. Justin Wilder. Esteemed jury, let's just look at the facts. Sean was <laughs> dead, All right, He gave his life protecting innocence. If only we could separate that hero's journey from the accusations we have before us. Sean Cassidy, Banshee, was manipulated by evil outside forces, sent to do their bidding. Evil forces that were in power because of actions done by Wolverine. Like, where is he on trial? Why is Sean the one being accused here? Wolverine, free of mind, murders children. Children! Banshee! even under the influence of death, only beats up Havoc a little bit and does some light kidnapping with the Scarlet Witch. Wait, you know, kidnapping that his overlords needed for their nefarious plot. It's all on them. Havoc even says to Banshee, it's his turn to be corrupt. Everyone goes through a phase. Plus, I mean, Banshee gets a cool new uniform out of it. So he's not at fault in any of this. He is being used as a pawn. But he does attack Havoc, so I don't want to let that go. He attacks Havoc, and he comes in with some very personal motivation. He's clinging to the fact that Havoc's brother killed him. And apparently he remembers this. I don't know how the Celestial Death Seed affects your, your memory or experience in that death, but he is enjoying this beatdown of Havoc. And honestly, as a reader, so am I. So is it really that bad? Uh, he destroys <laughs> Captain America's eardrums, America's eardrums, while basically calling him out on how he's ignored the plight of mutants and he might be Irish. Like, like he's just bringing some stuff. He's basically saying, you're not even America. Are you even really America? <laughs> but... The whole thing about calling Captain America out on the plight of mutants should honestly be a defense because Captain America was never really around for mutants. Um, Havoc then interrupts and shut up, Havoc. But he believes, he believes what he's saying about saving the mutant people for this rapture, about what doing what Xavier couldn't do, getting to the core of his dislike for humans, his his just priority towards mutants that he was following through on in his X-Corps days. He's acting on his innermost compass, just he has this evil influence guiding him. And yes, he attacks Havoc again, but to be fair, for some reason, Alex Summers is hailed as a great mutant leader in this arc because of the Unity Squad and being this person that brings humans and mutants, like it's uh, Magneto and Xavier and Cyclops and, and Havoc. And like, no, no, Havoc deserved to get attacked. Banshee's fine. 
Put Wolverine and Havoc on trial. Thank you. I rest my case. <laughs> For me, the crux of this section, we have a lot of characters who have been turned into horsemen at this point. Uh, we talk about this in the Archangel trial, Polaris and Gambit and Wolverine and Caliban. And like so many characters have been changed by these death seeds. Was he in control? He was revived from the dead. Uh, and then was he uh, a willful agent under his control or did he not have will? I think that's kind of where the crux is for me. Uh, let me hear uh, thoughts and questions uh, from the jury on this section. Um. Yeah, because this is this is the era where you kind of have to like think about it from both angles because um like my section also goes into like the duality of what he has to deal with. Like, is he being controlled or is he under his own influence? Um, I think in this case, being a horseman, um, he is being completely controlled. Um and that says a lot for you know what's happening. Um, so I can't blame him for his actions because again that means that we can go back and blame anybody else who's like done evil shit under control <laughs> gene um but i think in this in this case um i would say that you know him being under that mind control definitely uh did not help matters other thoughts here it's yeah. hard oh go ahead Darryl. no please oh it's havoc i mean <laughs> I mean, we know what he did. We know he's somewhat of, he can be a whiny shitbag. And, <laughs> and he, he deserved it. He deserved it. He can be hot and annoying at the same time. And he is. So, <laughs> um, sorry, Havoc. You're not really tipping the scales for this jury member in terms of a crime, because I see it basically as uh, an act of charity. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling a little attacked because I'm also hot and annoying. <laughs> Alicia, what were you going to say? I was pretty much gonna say the same thing. I mean, I was gonna say it seems like Havoc is deserved. He's it. designed as a character for other characters to punch in the face. So as sad as that is for Havoc, I can't. I can't justify that as like a, oh, that's a bad thing Banshee did because that seems to be a thing people do. So. It is wild to me that this is part of Banshee's chronology that the wasp fried his vocal cords. It's just, that's nuts to me. But I agree with Justin. His look here is cool. It's like, it's like crazy undead Banshee with like crazy, like black and gray. It's, it's a cool, it's a cool set of, uh, it's a cool set of images for him. Um, and they gave us Banshee back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Justin, was it fun for you to reread Uncanny Avengers? Uh, I had, a, I think it's been a minute since you've had to take a trip there. I don't think I've ever actually read the full run. Oh, uh, I've read the first couple of issues, and then I read a lot of the second volume uh, written by Jerry because we had him on the show. But uh, I don't think I had actually read this arc. They bring yeah. a they bring Dawkins back here too after Wolverine drowns him. There's all, all kinds of crazy chronology. <laughs> Which like, come on, the, he's he's doing the worst stuff. Even Captain America turns on him for having killed you know, uh, all these other people. Get out of here. And the Grim Wait, Reaper so, back after so Rogue. Is, uh, I was going to say the Grim sorry, Reaper back after was Rogue the, uh, murdered him. Ah, sorry. Go ahead, Andre. <laughs> no, no, sorry, I keep tripping over you, Jed. I was like, so Justin, you read the Unity arc where they fix Rogue? Yeah. 
Okay, that's what I wanted to make sure I understood where you were uh, going. Before okay. before that, but um, yeah, so it's th this arc is basically right. It ends where she now has Simon in her head. Got it. Okay. All right. All right. It's good. It's good. Yeah, uh, it's definitely good. You should finish it out. Yeah. Let's yeah, I, vote. I the ones in between. I was like, oh no, I'm gonna read these two. <laughs> Let's vote in this section. Uh, Alicia, you're up first. Ah. Uh... I'm gonna go three on this. There's a, there's some not great things, but he is under, you know, someone else's control. So I feel it's the middle. I'm going three. Daryl. Two. I mean, uh, it's havoc. Two. <laughs> Gabriella. I'm gonna say two because. Even if he wasn't controlled, I think it could be argued that he was under duress because if you're brought back from the dead and you're told by the person who brought you back, you're only brought back for this reason. You're going to do whatever they say because otherwise you'd be dead. So I'll say two. Andre. I will agree, too. It is a one for me. I don't think he's in control at all in this section. And Justin. Ah. Uh, it's a two for me because I would agree he's not in control at all, but some of the, his thoughts and opinions that we've observed otherwise are seeping through. And so that makes me think like he's a little bit, he, he's at least influencing the course of action ahead of him. And uh, that gives us a 12 out of 30 in this section. Then it takes us, this is right in the pre-Krakoa storyline where Matthew Rosenberg is take, uh, in Uncanny X-Men right as everything just blows the fuck up and then Krakoa happens afterward. Uh, so uh, Andre Mason is the section here. We call this section zombie. Uh, after awakening from his coma or his suspended animation, Banshee, who appears very zombie-like, very emaciated and kind of haunted, barely speaking, he basically really looks like a mythical Banshee here. He was weaponized by Beast and Havoc into fighting the Reavers and the Office of National Emergency, which is a government agency. These are human mutant hating groups number 43 and 49. Uh, the team that formed uh, of X-Men here includes Warpath, Dazzler, Colossus. They've been unauthorized by the X-Men. And Banshee, Banshee blew up a jet, among other crimes, during this time. He flies off in the middle of a mission and later returns to help fight the Sentinels. We learn that Beast has been using nanotech in his body in order to control him. And he only gets his will back when the Sentinels hijack the nanotech. Uh, in the end, Banshee, knowing that the death seed that's still inside him uh, is still inside him, he chose, chooses to go back into suspended animation. Later, he's revived again. He's still acting like a zombie. He joins up with Hope Summers's new mutant liberation front. If you forgot that, Hope Summers had a mutant liberation front for a minute, <laughs> uh, which includes members Forearm, Wildside, Strobe, Samurai, and Dragonus. They work together to assassinate Ms. Prestel, who is an anti-mutant political rally leader. The X-Men fight the MLF and Banshee is taken out pretty quickly by Cyclops. Uh, a little while after that, when frost giants invade the earth as part of the War of the Realms, Banshee is among the X-Men that kill the giants. And then again, Krakoa happens after this. I'm kind of gonna presume that Banshee was killed and then resurrected because he looks normal on Krakoa again. There doesn't seem to be a death seed or a zombie version of him anymore, but he's real scary looking during this section. Uh, let me turn it over to Andre. 
All right. So I have to present this in a way that because um, we've been talking about it. Uh, there is a certain duality here that has been culminating into uh, what we can say we can easily blame on Banshee and things that we cannot blame on Banshee. Um, I think this weird time with him being kind of the zombie Banshee um, falls into uh, that area where he is still being controlled by fucking Beast of all people because that's what Beast does. Um, using him as kind of like essentially a drone uh during the astonishing uh x-men run um sean has no willpower of his own and i believe when he left the field that's when he started to get his uh wits about him his his judgment started to come back but he was still kind of feeling those those feelings of having that death seed in him so that's what i think prompted him to go back because he's like i'm i'm struggling with some things people are still using me i am no good to anybody so i need to go back to sleep so I can say truly, truly, truly that that is the moment we have to think about where he is still being controlled. Now, when he wakes up during uh, the next arc, when we're going through that other weird time, which is the ages of X-Men, where all of the X-Men have completely been disappeared and shunted into another realm, um, he now acknowledges the fact that the MLF is still around and it's a terrorist group. He knows who the MLF is because he was around for it. And he willingly chooses to go after these humans who are literally going to be anti-mutant. So this, again, that duality issue is that before he was being controlled and now he's making his own decisions. And he was clear about that in this sense. So after that is done, he goes uh, and helps the X-Men again. I guess he has a 360 uh, turnaround and like, you know, the whole entire world is now being attacked so he wants to kind of uh help now and he does help and he, you know i think it does seem like it's left unnoticed or something happens where I, I don't know if his if a death happens off scene but like he's not seen after that again and then that's when the krakoa things happens so i think what we can say is that in the beginning of his zombie era he was being controlled and towards the end of the zombie era he was not being controlled um, but I can say the true villain of that is Beast, followed strongly by Dazzler, Shaken Bakewig as the true villains of, of that era. Um, so I present to you guys the fact that Sean had some problems. Being a zombie didn't help. But we know that eventually he does come around and joins the X-Men and does try to help. God, he had a few bad years. <laughs> <laughs> so many bad years. <laughs> so many bad years. Uh, let me turn it over to the jury for questions or comments on this section. There's some good stories in this era. Zombie Banshee is weird. It'll last for a minute. He's around for a little while. He's yeah, he. Weird, like I mean, a... I was I was happy that he was back. I was happy that Rosenberg, uh, you know, threw him back into the fray. But I really wanted him fixed. I really wanted him back to being normal, but like, of course, you know, Beast can't do anything fucking right. He's um, also he's also part of like Havoc's joke team, where everybody's like, "You don't get to be the X Men." Kitty Pride literally is like, "I own the trademark to X Men. You can't. <laughs> you can't. You're not even allowed back in the mansion, dude. Like, leave it alone." <laughs> like, we have a restraining order against you, and that's you know that's bad. Uh, are we ready to vote in this section? 
Yeah, because it's clear. So. It's so clear. <laughs> Let's do it. I, I'm gonna go first this time. I oh, this is like endangered species, but then hope comes into it. It's the MLF stuff. It's a it's a two for me. He did try to assassinate a political leader as part of a team, but they weren't very effective. Uh, so I'm gonna go two. Uh, Justin, is a two. He's like. Yeah, I, I think Andre hit the nail on the head with this. He's still being manipulated, but also he's fighting the manipulation. So it's not it's not that much further out into it, but uh, he's just going through it. You know, we all go through it at times. And now this is Banshee's time. And I feel for that. Uh, Alicia, when we mentioned Beast's nanotech and control, I watched you be like, <laughs> watch your facial emotion. I can't with that guy. <laughs> uh, Alicia, go ahead. I'm going to also go too. I think the point, the differentiation between being in control and not being in control and the shift of making good decisions once you're in control. Uh, Daryl. I agree with the two. There is uh, some limited culpability there, but um, ultimately I think that he was being influenced. Gabriella. I would also say too, I mean, who hasn't planned uh, how to carry out a political assassination when you're having a rough time? <laughs> <laughs> and Andre. <laughs> I honestly, I'm somewhere between two and three. Because again, him being uh, essentially like a mind control drone for Beast versus willingly hanging out with a bunch of mutant terrorists is that's that's not too much of an extreme at that point i mean there are levels to this shit as the kids say so i'm 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 kind of stuck in between two and three so i'll pick just, one to give you a point to give you a point i would say two uh that gives us 12 out of 30 in this section and we're gonna close with krakowan era banshee uh this is uh alicia wilder's section uh, oh, I don't think I so just just for clarity's sake, for those that want to follow along, in Andre's section, the key issues were Astonishing X-Men 13 through 15, 17 through 21, Uncanny X-Men Volume 5, number 15, and War of the Realms X-Men number 15. So yeah. just for clarity's sake. Or as I like to call it, the rise of Dazzler Shake and Bake Wig. <laughs> <laughs> it's shake and bake, and I have... <laughs> Okay, okay. So trial point five, we're calling the spirit of variance. Uh, a jury member assigned as Alicia. Uh, Banshee has been affected, infected on Krakoa by a new mutant language who is sentient called Etienne. Uh, Etienne takes the form of a deadly language that has the potential to destroy people. Banshee's infected. His face glows energy. He screams and harms a lot of different people around him. But then the virus transfers to Cypher, who makes peace with Etienne and resolves things peacefully. Moira then reveals to Banshee in a different issue that she is alive. She asks for his help getting to Krakoa because she cannot pass through the gates, no longer being a mutant. Banshee hesitates and says he'll think about it, but she just kills him, skins him, and wears his skin to get back onto Krakoa instead so that she can pass through the gate. After being resurrected, Banshee was possessed by the skinjacker and forced to cut himself open. Seeking a new path of purpose and focus, and who can blame him? Because God, people have been fucking with this guy for a while. Banshee <laughs> makes a bargain with the new mysterious God, who we don't quite know what her capabilities are. She's called Mother Righteous. She bonds Banshee with the spirit, spirit of variance. 
And now Banshee is expected to serve her in response for this deal. He changes his name to Vox Ignis, which means the voice of fire. And he's been seen going on missions for Mother Righteous on Krakoa. Now, in the most recent issue of Legion of X, we're kind of just starting to get... Uh, and there'll be another issue out before we release this trial. So be, uh, be patient with us, uh, listeners. But we kind of are just starting to get an indication. Uh, Sean indicates uh, in a speech that he's only half of Vox Ignis. The other half is what they call the spirit of variance, who Sean describes as, quote, your basic ancient cosmic power that rebelled against the self-defeating concept of revenge and became something new. So there's a lot of spirits of vengeance that power people up as ghostwriters and they all seek vengeance. Apparently this is like a mutant spirit of vengeance, which is interesting. So we're going to see where this story goes. Uh, we're putting on trial, uh, Banshee on trial here for some weird decision-making and whatever those impacts might be. Uh, so the assigned issues here, the key issues are X-Men Unlimited, Infinity Comic 42 and 43, X-Deaths of Wolverine number four, Legion of X 2 through 6, and uh, AXC, the Avengers X-Men Eternals crossover, Judgment Day number two. And Alicia, I know how happy you were to read more Judgment Day. <laughs> let, me, let me turn it back <laughs> over to you. Oh, Chad. You should have heard Listen, her. I couldn't be upset about having to reread Judgment Day because I had actually read all of these comics. This is the first time I've been on a trial where I've been like, I read these. I know what's up. I could potentially argue my point without even reading anything, but I didn't. I reread them all. Um, <clears throat> but here's the thing. If we're looking at this from a prosecution standpoint, the only thing that is questionable about what Banshee did here is accepting to make this deal with Mother Righteous without knowing what her intentions are, without knowing what it is he's agreeing to doing. So then you're like, okay, does that put him in a place of responsibility for whatever action she takes going forward because he willingly agreed to participate in this relationship. However, and I will say that I did kind of carry my conversation through the end or my thoughts through the end of Legion of X that is currently out. So through issue eight, um, because it kind of keeps coming up. So I break the rules a little bit, Chad. I wouldn't roll. <laughs> oh, snap. Um, but if we're thinking about that, right, that specific point of agreeing to work with Mother Righteous, if you're looking at even just these points, any time that Banshee is under the influence of another mutant in these instances, he was not asked permission. He was just Basically, his body was abducted by different people in all of these varying situations. And in the first couple instances, like Etienne did not intend to commit harm. He was just trying to make his way to safety in Krakoa and hopefully get someone to help him. So you can't even blame Banshee for anything that he did there. And he wasn't even the house for Etienne for very long. It was like, he's in, he's out. He goes from Beak to Banshee to Doug real quick. So just, just blah, blah, bye, bye. It's gone. Okay. Then <clears throat> the Moira situation, she flat out says, I'm sure Banshee would have eventually come around, but time isn't on my side. So I forced him to help. So he did not willingly help her. 
he did go meet with her because he didn't realize what was going down. And then she was like, listen, this is sort of like, surprise, this is who I really am this whole time. I've been lying to you forever. And um, I'm a villain. So do you want to help me? And he said, no. And she said, well, okay, then I'll kill you and wear your skin. So again, nothing for him to be at fault at in that situation. I'm taking a weird pleasure of every time the skin suits mentioned, Gabriella goes like, just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) It's really terrible. Um, Now, with all of the body switching that is happening before this in Legion of X, by the time he gets to Mother Righteous and she says, hey, I want to work together with you. I'm going to give you this power. She does say you kind of have to do my bidding, but she doesn't say I'm going to be in complete control of you. And she actually asks. So if I were Banshee, I would be like, well, she asked. And the last time someone asked and I said no, it resulted in my death. So I might as well say yes and see what happens, right? Get a little extra power instead of just dying. So I don't really think you can fault him for that. And then as we carry on, as he is the spirit of variance, he all he does is swoop it and save people, save people from certain situations. Oh, your fears and your fantasies are attacking you in the astral plane. Swoop in. Here I am. Oh, there's some <laughs> other stuff going on with Krakoa and Warlock that y'all don't know about. Swoop in. Here I am. I'm here to tell you I'm here to solve your problems. So he's constantly saying I'm on your side and being there and he still has some of his own authority because he can switch back and forth between being um, himself and not. So I think he's in a safe space and I think he's he's doing good. And he, and he even argues or kind of talks with Mother Righteous when she doesn't want to save certain people and he wants to step in like to, to save Legion or this or that. Like he's he's still doing his best to do good in whatever situation is given to him. And the poor guy is just like the, his entire Krakoan life is just garbage. If I'm being completely <laughs> honest, it's absolute trash. And now he's like, look at me. I got a cool glowing head, flaming head and a new friend and a new costume. So and a new code name. Right. And a new code name. He's living large. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I Let me hear your, Alicia, what are your opinions on Legion of X as a series? Are you enjoying it? Oh, Legion of X. So here's the thing. There are story threads of Legion of X that I really am interested in. I'm really interested in what's going on, like with the transformation of people into these demonic forms of themselves. I'm really interested in the warlock story. I'm really interested in what's happening with Legion and, and Charles. What I don't like is how wordy it is and how Very it dense. sometimes yeah. makes me feel like I'm stupid. Like I read mm. it and I'm like, are you using big words to make me feel dumb? Are you using long sentences to make me feel dumb because it's working? So I'm really interested in the story, but I just feel like sometimes it's told in a way that's very wordy and very heavy and could be less and still have the same impact. So it feels like homework sometimes when I'm reading it. But then at the end of the day, once we read it and talk about it, I am interested in the the stories and I feel like its impact as a whole is going to be a very large impact on Krakoa. So it feels like I need to stick with it because it's going to have a payoff. It's interesting to me because three of the flagship books, and this is a very different conversation, but we've got Steve Orlando, Sice Spurrier, and uh, Kieran Gillen, 
who are all doing very dense, wordy, long form plots and are all famous for doing so. And it's almost like you got to wait till the series is done and then go back and read because you know what happens. And then you can go look for all the seeds that were planted along the way with Marauders, Immortal and Legion. And they're great, but it's also very dense. I agree. It takes a long time to read them. And with this too, like you could see the the points for Banshee, like going back and being able to read these issues and with the strict focus of what Banshee's storyline is, there are, you get so much more out of it when you can just focus it on one character. Like, some of the details of of his um like his actual authority for his own decision making like kind of I kind of glossed over them the first time I was reading it because I was also really focusing on everything else that was going on but going back and looking at these stories and looking just at Banshee like you're seeing he's he's weighed down by this fact that he's constantly being used and he doesn't have any say in how he's being used and now he's been met with mother mother righteous and she's like hey i want to use you but also like you can have some authority in that so and i'll give you some power the other part i think that's fascinating and again longer conversation but size spurrier on legion of x specifically he's given us the new mutant religion of the spark which is all about change never hold still everything needs to be new and he's introduced this character mother righteous and specifically the spirit of variants who are all about change uh, the spirit of variance is literally like its its method is change. I want everything to change and vary and move over time. And it's almost like he's introducing what a villainous concept of change might look like yeah. uh, in order to counter Nightcrawler's idea of the spark. It's a really interesting story, man. I'm excited to see where it goes. Again, I got a little creative in the interpretation of all this, but Banshee's had a shitty time on Krakoa. <laughs> <laughs> story. So we get to decide how much to put him on trial for here. Uh, do we have any questions or comments on this section of Banshee's history in the most modern era? Uh, no. I mean, I'm interested to see where it goes because, I mean, you're talking about a guy who you never really, the, the, the writers never really know what to do with him. And they haven't really been able to know what to do with him since the 90s. Like, so this is interesting to see where it goes. Like, there's a plan. Because, yeah, yeah, it's a plan because then you're like, okay, so if he's like a spirit of vengeance, who's he? Ven- like, who is he? Who is he? Like, doing this for? Is he doing it for himself? Like, what's what? Who is he taking vengeance upon? <laughs> like, he's a, he's a spirit of variance, not a spirit of yeah. Vengeance. Well, that's true. I mean, I, I'm, it's the Ghost Rider head that I keep getting confused <laughs> about. Yeah, um, yeah, I whatever variance, whatever that spirit of variance means, um. And how that uh, how that plays out with Mother Righteous. It's like it's so weird. I, I mean, I like it. Um, but like to your point, at least it's very dense. Um, but I think I have tried to get used to that dense nature of the Krakoa era because it's always like, you know, now we're just kind of conditioned to see like even the supplemental pages that just go into more of what's happening, like the memos and you know, and yeah. just like little things that kind of explore uh what's happening either in the issue or in the background to give you a little bit more contextual reference points to it but i think they're doing it on purpose because i think we've only scratched the surface of like krakoa and and what this is to them well they're Um, also really pushing what it means to be a mutant because i mean warlock is a mutant technarch right they've given us mutant scrolls We've got mutant Shi'ar. Uh, Steve Orlando's using a mutant symbiote. Now we've got a mutant uh, spirit of vengeance. There's some really interesting concepts there. A mutant, a mutant brood. Like it's like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. It's it's all of those things that I. But I think that that in depth nature that is going into can get very very heavy. 
Um, but I think that's the point because this whole book is about the heaviness of like <laughs> just uh, yeah. the consciousness. Like, and then when you start getting into like consciousness and philosophy, um, spirituality, those aren't like Sesame Street conversations. Right. <laughs> they are not. But it is yeah, like, and I like it. <laughs> Uh, do we have other, are we ready to vote in this section? It was the thing, so Alicia, you had said, the only thing we could really question him on, the only thing that the prosecution really has is that he agreed to do what- You should have never said it. He agreed to do what Mother Righteous is saying without actually knowing where she was going. But mm -hmm. I, I also just want to bring up the fact that, so Moira skinned him, right? I'm yeah. Still, I'm dealing with every time. Skinned him, wore him like a suit, <laughs> like a terrible person. They were lovers, intimate lovers, and she betrayed that love. But he died. The only way that he would know that that happened would be like, hey, bitch, you want to hear something crazy? <laughs> yeah. Like, you're the reason why. So, like, that is insane. And, and we saw him in the lead up in the beginning of Legion of X, like, really going, again, going through some stuff. And you now have someone's like, hey, I see you've got some, some tormented nature in your soul historically let's do something cool with it like, yeah come with me i've got plans i've got a story arc you're gonna your name's gonna be on people i mean it's not gonna be banshee but people know who you are she mm -hmm. doesn't even go as far as to bring up all of these points right like yeah. when she's arguing with him she's like listen you lost a vote you didn't get on the <laughs> you lost your love p.s yeah. she also skinned you yeah and you like you know you, you you've lost your sense of self so like yeah. you lost your authority Come so like me. don't you want to like do something well, better more yeah, than just, on purpose it's more than purpose just in him she also revealed that their entire relationship was a lie it was a manipulation right. it, there's the, like, uh, the we saw how he dealt with her death earlier and now to learn the whole thing oof, yeah okay in this section all those, all those alcoholic years could have been avoided <laughs> just <wanted> <laughs> uh, in this section it is a one for me uh, Justin, uh, I think it's a one as well. I just, I, I, if that's the one question that like we're, we're questioning, that's justifiable. I'll give it to him. Yeah, I use your words against you. Alicia. You shake your head as much as you want. <laughs> uh, Daryl, come into this with no prosecution. I couldn't be like, I didn't do that part, Chad. I already read issues. I was I, like, you understood the assignment. Yeah, <laughs> Daryl, I'm gonna go with a one. Gabriella, one. Andre, two. He doesn't know what he's signing up for. He doesn't know what he's signing up for at all. Like, if there wasn't a big buyer's beware that happened, and she like, hey, I'm going to change your life, but you know what? You're going to get a flaming fucking head out of this. Maybe you should have thought about that. I mean, yeah. maybe he didn't because he's been a zombie and he looked like crap before, and he doesn't care what his face looks like anymore. But again, you don't know what you signed up for. Like, what? what is she doing? Andre, I thought that we were friends. <laughs> And Alicia. <laughs> if I could vote zero, I would vote zero. So I should have uh, Which gives us a seven out of 30 in this section. And the total score for Banshee, when we add it all together, uh, he is 41% on the scale, which is one of our lower scores, uh, which is where he belongs because he's a great character. Um, yes. As we are wrapping up today, uh, let us know where we can find each of you online. Uh, if you want to plug anything, recognizing this is dropping the last Thursday in January. Uh, so I know that's a little bit ahead, but let us know if you'd like to plug anything. 
And I'd love for you to share as we're as we're wrapping up. Uh, what is uh, how's your mind changed about Banshee? What are your kind of concluding thoughts on this character as we've taken a couple of hours to delve deep on him? Um, I'll go first here. You can find Graham Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Graham Malkin underscore land on Instagram. We are now in the new year, which means the new announcements will have dropped at this point. The trials will drop every fourth Thursday, Thanksgiving style in 2023. Uh, I always announce the next trial at the end of this trial. So in February, you can watch for, and I'm very excited about this in weird ways, uh, the trial of Kesar, Mr. Kevin Plunder himself. Uh, it was a whole education reading this guy's chronology in a way that I did not expect. And I'm very excited for what is coming. Uh, the next episode after this you can watch for is going to feature uh, Mr. Tom Brevoort returning to the podcast. Uh, and our assigned issue that day is going to be X-Men Century or Century X-Men number one, which is an old angel Century team up from the 60s. Uh, and the next Patreon episode that drops right after this, if everything goes as planned, is going to be with Mr. Anthony Oliveira on the character Bova. So you are not ready for what we have to That's say. It's going to be fun. Chad, Chad, where did the idea for Bova come Daryl suggested Bova, which I tossed to Anthony. And Anthony was like, yes, let's do it. And I'm very excited. <laughs> I have so many jokes about Bo Bova milking herself that I'm just ready for. <laughs> so everybody be present. Uh, so as we're going out, uh, my final thoughts on Banshee. I, I love this character. I'm really impressed by the potential of what his powers mean. I wanna know more about the stuff I referenced earlier. I can't get enough of this guy. I really like him in almost all of his incarnations and I would love to see him featured more. I I, I love this character. Uh, so as we're leaving, let's, uh, let's go with Daryl first. You can find me at the X Factor Files podcast that's on Instagram and also your pod network of choice. Um, we are covering issue by issue. X Factor by Peter David in the first slash third volume because the second volume is nebulous. Um, so it's him doing X Factor investigations. So um, find us there. Check us out. We would love to have you as listeners and read along with us. And uh, my thoughts on Banshee, he has really been the town bicycle, but not a fun town bicycle. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> he has been used and abused by so many people. He deserves better. And mm. we'll see if that happens in Krakoa. My hopes are not high. Um, but I do have an affection for this character. And I'm happy that next year we, or this year, as this is being released, we are getting a Marvel legend of Banshee um, from 375. So hopefully that gives us many Banshee action figures for me to waste money on. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, and then Gabriella. Yeah, so uh, I have a blog called The Girl Who Sits, and I'm on Instagram, Twitter, if Twitter is still going to exist at the end of January. Who it knows? will. Um, and uh, Facebook uh, as The Girl Who Sits. And I'm probably going to have my YouTube channel by the time this video airs, so also there. Um, I am, I love characters that have horror elements, and I really feel like Banshee's horror aspect of like what Banshee's like actually wear in mythology has been really underplayed. And I'm, I'm like cautiously kind of stoked to see if that will ever happen. Um, I don't know. I doubt in like the cinematic universe it will because they're kind of horror shy. But um, I think that'd be I think that'd be cool. I really like his character a lot more than I did 
uh, earlier before I started researching this, which was just that one character in X-Men First Class who was played by the same actor who played the brother in Get Out. Um, <laughs> that's all I knew him as. And I, I was like, oh, cool. But I really like him now. So this is really fun. And thank you for having me. This is a different conversation, but Gabrielle, if you want to explore this on your own, Teresa, uh, his daughter, has a really cool kind of Banshee-ish storyline where she becomes uh, like a, a character called the Morrigan, and she turns into kind of an undead Banshee version of herself. It's pretty cool. So look that up if you'd like to learn more. It's interesting. That sounds awesome. And speaking of which, can you tell me what the skin skin wearing issue is? Because it's the X, absolutely will read it. It's X Deaths of Wolverine number four four if i'm getting that right yeah yeah it's good it's interesting uh and let's go over to the wilders is next oh sorry okay hey here we are so <laughs> you can find us all over the internet uh at the ex-wife podcast t-h-e-x-w-i-f-e as in x-men not former wife um or the ex-wife podcast.com and you can also find me if you're interested in my cosplay journey at Wilder Moves on Instagram. Don't find me. Don't find Justin. He doesn't want to be found. You can find him on the XY podcast. That's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> we're and, and then we talk the new books yeah. every week. Occasional throwbacks here and there. And at the end of January, we'll be kicking off Sins of Sinister because I think that'll come out the day before this drops if we're doing uh, Thanksgiving style. And uh, that's that's intense. And that's, we will have just we're, we'll be in the middle of slash just finishing up Dark Web. So that's you want to talk about people turning evil and doing things out of control. Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, as far as Banshee as a character, uh, I would say I'm really glad to have learned that Banshee has a dark side um because he just seems like a very sad character in my head canon based on the way that I've been introduced to him so I like that he has an edge and I'm hoping that all of the things that he's been through you know listening to all the different stories and hearing all the things and then having dug really deep into the story that I'm uh that I was assigned and thinking about where things are at now and the past like you know, Banshee's had to deal with the failings before and now they're back in his life. And like all of these things that have played into what has built him up to the character that he is now, like having such smart writers be at the forefront of his character development. I'm interested to see how all of that kind of culminates into what the future of that character is. I am interested to see what he would do on his own personally because i feel mm -hmm. like all of these so many of these stories are just him influenced by something else him influenced by uh, an external force a, a tragic event and i i'm just curious like who who's sean who's the guy uh and to echo daryl's point bring on the marvel legends you know he, <laughs> they've been hiding from it but we're getting the training suit and i'm hoping we're getting the classic and i would even take an age of apocalypse because that was dope <laughs> Three banshees. I want them all. I got a I got a siren and a black tom. I want banshees. Damn it. <laughs> and then uh finally, Mr. Andre Mason. 
Oh, okay. I have nothing to promote because I'm just a normal pop culture enthusiast on the interwebs. Um, you can find me on IG and Twitter at Talk Nerdy to Me, and that's a uh, Talk N R D Y number two M E, um, where I just talk about random nerdy things and drop thirst traps whenever possible. So. <laughs> uh that's yes, me also, <laughs> and there you go there we go um and then also i help uh co-admin a uh an x-men fan group on facebook called the new xavier institute for higher learning uh which is fun um uh, which kind of goes into kind of what we do here we just like talk about the issues the panels people have questions all about educating new uh readers and old readers so it's pretty fun but uh, my thoughts on Banshee, I think that it echoes it echoes what Justin said. I want to see him not be taken advantage of. I want to see him not being uh, driven by an influential external force. I just want to see Banshee. Like, I just want to see him be the hero that I know and has basically been raised to know about him <laughs> um, all those years. Like, I just want to see him in his glory and just do what he needs to do and be awesome. Um love him uh pre-ordered the figure too so i'm really excited about that <laughs> but yes give me all the banshees every single every single outfit but i think the uncanny training suit is still the most epic iconic version of him that i can get except for the gray sweatpants version Whew. and the <laughs> and the boston celtics the jacket that he wore for like <laughs> every day in that, in that <laughs> all every right day. <laughs> to the five of you, my friends, uh, happy holidays. We're recording this on December 18th. I, uh, I enjoy each of you so much and love spending time with you. Thank you for the gift of your time and talents today. The audience, thank you for listening. Uh, we're having so much fun making this show. Thank you for your continued support. And we'll see you back here next time on Grey Malkin Lane. <laughs> Bye, you guys. Thank you for listening to Grey Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Grey Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Grandma Can Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Grandma Can Lane.